Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today, it's just going to be Danae and I. We had a burning desire to have a conversation about something I think is pretty um, big right now. I guess I've been getting a lot of um, people reaching out to me via DM talking about it um, after a post that I wrote. So Danae and I wanted to just jump on and have a chat. Yeah, I think we wanted to have a conversation about parenting right now. Yeah, this sort of unique period in time that we're in. And it's so funny because I think so much of the time what you're seeing people posting about is using this time as an opportunity to go inward and reflect and really be with yourself and um, maybe contemplate some of the things that you're too busy to contemplate in your normal life. And I think those of us who are parents are sort of like, (laughs) that's hilarious. I'm busier now than I am when I'm at the office. (laughs) Do I have a lot of extra time? Nobody told me. Right. Um, Yeah. And I think that you were sort of speaking to this time in a way that I thought was so powerful. So I don't yeah. know if you want to share that post that you were. Yeah, I'll out. read it. Um, you know, and I also want to say too, is like, I've, I've, a lot of people have been laughing about, I guess I didn't read her actual post, but I guess um, Gwyneth Paltrow made some comment about how we should be taking this time to like learn another language or read a book. And I know that got a lot of backlash from moms too. So I've learned a couple <laughs> languages actually in the last Most of mine are weeks. swear word based. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me read this, um, this post. And of course now I can't find it. Well, let me start first by saying I went to Danae at kind of like a moment of my wit's end, if you will, a couple weeks ago, I guess, because I have a newborn, as many of you guys know, and I'm just realizing how fucking hard it is to do this. I don't want to say alone, like just me alone, but alone with just my partner and I. So look, we're lucky. We do have help from his mom. Um, his mom comes over like once or once a day for like an hour or two and just kind of gives us time to like shower or like send some emails or whatever. Right. But this idea of we as couples have to do and raise and be everything to everyone. And when I think about how as a society or as a people, um, we used to do this in the village, right? You heard this term, it takes a village. And I really believe that. And I wonder at what point, you know, was it the fifties? Was it the boomers? Was it the generation before that? Who decided that this like nuclear family made sense as far as child rearing goes, right? Like Mm. who decided that it was up to two people and actually back then really one because one was working and one was home to do everything for their children. I don't know. And I just, I remember texting you just kind of in this moment of like, this is some bullshit. Like it is not (laughs) meant to be this way. (laughs) I think that was your actual text. Bullshit. (laughs) Actual bullshit. But I don't know, what do you feel about that? This idea of like village versus just like nuclear family. I mean, you have a three-year-old, so you went through this yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're a hundred percent right. And it's funny that you are, are, this is so alive for you right now. And Mm -hmm. I remember um, my master's thesis was a little bit on like this postpartum period and how difficult it is and the pressure that is put on mamas to sort of, um, 
you know, bounce back quickly or mm-hmm. get back to work quickly in all the different ways you're sort of in a storm of being pulled in all these different directions and trying to make sense of it in American culture by yourself. And in my thesis, I was talking about how, you know, there's certain, like in Asian cultures, they have a period of time where it's not even just like your mother-in-law, but there are like a series of women within the family that stay with you, they live with you, and you're sort of hands-off as a mama. Like Mm -hmm. your work is to heal, your work is to just like be in the process of initiation and the transformational process that you're going through as, um, you know, moving from maiden to mother. Mm -hmm. But there are all of these elders, this community of women that sort of rally around you and take care of you while and by taking care of your baby Mm -hmm. and your family, really, right? So Cooking, cleaning, all that stuff. Yeah, because there's just so much, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much that you're trying to do. Like there's the actual physical healing that you have Mm -hmm. to do. Nobody talks about how gnarly it is after you have a baby. Like your body is like in all different types of disarray, right? Like all of your internal organs get pushed into different places to make space for this baby. So your body needs to heal for a while, right? If you have a C-section, that's another level of healing, right? Like you can't actually physically do all of these things for a while. Then we still need to eat. Then baby needs everything all day, every day. And that is so much, not to your point, just for one person, but that is so much for two people to try Mm -hmm. to tackle. And I think we sort of set ourselves up for feeling like we're failing. I think we set ourselves up for it just being a miserable time. Like I've talked to you before about how I struggle sometimes to think back on that period because it was just really, really hard. And I well, think- isn't that so sad? Because it's mm. like, you, you get these conflicting messages. Like people say, oh my God, the newborn phase, enjoy it. It's the quickest phase of everything and it's beautiful and they're beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And then I was talking to a, um, a friend the other day who's pregnant with her second and I was saying how hard it was. And she goes, she just bluntly looked at me and she said, yeah, you know what? Newborns aren't my thing. Like, it's not my favorite time. She goes, I'm mm. kind of, I'm better when they're like a little bit more, you know, independent. I don't have to be completely strapped down. And, and it was funny because we were in like a Zoom, like a group call and everybody kind of made like a <gasps> face. And she was like, yeah, people judge me for saying that shit, but I really don't care. Like, it's mm. too hard. And the reason why I interrupted you and said, isn't that so sad is because I wonder if we were in this, still in this place of like, um, you know, this group mentality, this more collectivistic culture that we came from originally, would we be able to enjoy it more? Mm -hmm. Would I be able to enjoy my eight week old more because I'm well rested, because I have support, because I have help? And would she be able to enjoy me more? Absolutely. You would. I believe, I mean, obviously this is like our hypothesis. Yeah. I, I would imagine that it's so completely different. And, you know, I hear Mothers say all the time that you have to have amnesia about this time period. You have to forget because nobody would ever have another baby. Right. (laughs) Because not only is it so much on you physically, but it's just like sometimes I like even listening to you and um, hearing about what you and John are going through. I think about that period of, you know, there's a reason that they use a lack of sleep to torture people Mm -hmm. because the like actual physical pain of not Mm -hmm. being able to close your eyes and go to sleep is so intense, right? And in those moments where you are able to trade off with your partner or you are able to like have someone there, just say, go get some sleep. Like that's what I think is so hard about this time, especially, right? Like if I were able to just come over your house right now, I'd be like, you know what? Go take a nap while I play with her for a couple hours, you know? Mm -hmm. But we can't do that right now. And it's such like another layer of isolation during this difficulty. Right, and I think that's it. I think that like 
this would already be difficult for us because it's newborn phase and it's difficult for everybody. Right. But layered on top of it is this quarantine. And, you know, I'm not the only one I have actually like three or four really close friends that are going through it at the exact same time. Like they were all staggered a couple weeks after me. And then a couple weeks after that, they all had babies. And so we've been reaching out and I'm realizing that we're all in this kind of craziness together. And I did find that post and I wanted to read it because I did have somebody reach out to me and say, you know, I think you and Danae should talk about how this quarantine situation is actually making a lot of us who have even older children, like, you know, your son is three, feel like we're back in that fourth trimester again. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really like poignant way to put it. So I'll read this post. It's from this account um, that somebody told me to follow called Baby Chick. So it says, check on your friends with little kids. They can't go for a run by themselves, go to the bathroom by themselves, watch random TV during the day, unless it's Disney, sleep in, take naps when tired, peacefully read a book or start a new project. Isolation with little kids in a high physical needs phase of life is intense and exhausting. Not that we don't want them or love them, but it's like reliving the postpartum phase all over again, learning, adapting, and at times just trying to survive, requiring so much of us, but with minimal to no outside support. To all of you that feel this, remember to breathe, take one day at a time, one hour at a time. We will be reunited again, sending love and grace to you all. Yeah, that's so real. You know, I feel like the majority of the conversations I've been having with clients who have kids right now, our conversations are about the level of shame they feel about how difficult and activating this time has been for them, the way they feel short with their children, the way that they feel overwhelmed with frustration and like terrified that they're doing permanent damage, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like, how do we speak to that? Like, what do you think is the solution in terms of, or like, what is a way to start to look at the way that we're holding ourselves during this, this period of difficulty? God, I mean, I feel like there's so much to that, right? I, I, I had this client reach out to me the other day who's actually struggling with exactly this too. And, um, you know, she has a toddler and she reached out and said, basically all the work that her and I have been doing over the last year together was around um, the self and was around mm. boundaries and codependency and all of these things that she'd been struggling with. And we had gone, we'd come so far, we'd done so much work together and she was really turning a corner and she was seeing the effects of it in her parenting and in her marriage. And then she reached out to me the other day and I said to her, she sent me a message. I I do this thing called on demand um, where people can like ask questions. And I said to her in response, your voice, you sound so exasperated. Like you sound so exhausted and I can hear it. Mm. Um, And I said, you know, cause she's like, I feel like all of my tools are slipping. And so what I said to her is I said, you're right. They probably are. And I said, even I feel like all of my tools are slipping Mm. and I said, you know, the number one word that I want you to give yourself is grace, which I feel like you guys listening to us feel like you probably hear us say that all the time. Um, You know, I said, but of course that's what you're feeling right now, right? Like we're all in this together. And I said, I'm a freaking therapist and I'm feeling that way. So just understand like, you're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not failing at this. And um, because she said, you know, there's all these tools, like being able to take time for myself. I can't find that obviously, right? All these things. And so the, the push that I gave her, and maybe this will be helpful to anybody listening, And it's something that I've been working on myself, but I've also given it to other clients. 
I have this idea of this like internal barometer, right? And so, I, I mean, this isn't my own concept. It comes from mindfulness-based psychology where we talk about the window of tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. And so for those of you guys listening, I'll kind of break this down for you. So the window of tolerance is we all have our own window. It's different for everybody. And if you think about, um, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm kind of making like a sandwich with my hands, right? Like a line on top and a line below. And if we function at that mid-range for most of the day, when you think about when you hit a wall and you bust out of your range of resilience, let's say you bust out of the top, that's kind of where the anxious place lives. And if you bust through the bottom, that's more of like a depressive state, right? And that's like a shutdown mode. If you think about when you've busted out of your range, let's think of it like a barometer of a zero to 10. And if you are at a 10 and you've busted out, it's really difficult to bring yourself back into your range of resilience mm. because it's a nervous system thing, right? Like you've activated your nervous system to the point of either again, shutdown mode or like just totally like, fuck this, hit the wall. I'm in like basically a fight or flight state. What happens when we're in this fight or flight state is that our prefrontal cortex actually shuts off, right? And so we are not working from our thinking brain. We're not thinking from our logical brain. We're working from survival state only. That's not the best place to work from, right? And so what I was saying to her is, okay, if we can imagine that range being a zero to 10, and I told her, let's be accountability partners in this. Like even me as your therapist, you can hold me accountable because I'm working on it. How do we get to a place where we can start noticing when we're at a seven and in that moment say, oh shit, I'm at a seven, I need to take a break. Whether it's partner, mother-in-law, whoever's there, or even if you're by yourself, put the baby, put the kid down, put them in front of the TV, whatever the hell you have to do in that moment at a seven and go give yourself five minutes, right? And even if you can only bring yourself from a seven to a five, that's still a decrease. You're still not going from a seven to a 10. If you let yourself get to a 10, it is so much harder to bring yourself down than if you let yourself get to a seven and you try to course correct in that moment. Yeah. Now this shit is not easy. It takes work. I got myself to a 10 the other day and it was that moment where it was like, John, take the fucking baby. I'm going to take a walk. I can't handle this, right? I don't want to be in that place. Like nobody feels good parenting from a 10. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I work on noticing when I'm hitting a six or a seven so I can say, hey, John, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. I need to take a break. I need to do some self-care. It's not a five-hour thing, right? It's 20 minutes, but I don't know. I I'm hoping that's helpful for somebody who's listening because that's, that's what I'm working on. It, yeah, I think that is helpful. And what I want to offer in addition to what you're saying is that we are in a level of stress and reactivity given the circumstances of this period in time, that if we find ourselves in a 10, we're going to have to give ourselves a little bit of grace around that too, mm -hmm. right? Like if we find ourselves at 10s more often than we would normally, or, you know, I, I feel like across the board, my mantra has been lower the expectations mm. to myself, to my clients, like to your point, right? I feel myself about to be at a 10. I'm going to turn on the TV and I'm not going to feel anything bad about it, you know, because... All of our rules, all of our, like, you know, um, Glennon Doyle was saying a few weeks ago, th these are war times, right? Like, this yeah, is like, right up. <laughs> early, that is what we are facing right now. This is not business as usual. There is not a time where we don't have support, where we can't sort of say, I needed a break. I'm going to get a babysitter for mm -hmm. a moment. Like, I think we have to sort of hold this in the truth of what it is. And it is ridiculous to mm -hmm. put the level of expectation on ourselves that we would outside of war times. So, yeah, I, I feel like I've literally been saying that to my kid's father all the time. Like, he's like, what hour of television is that? I'm like, war times. 
four times. <laughs> like it's my response. And you know what? There is no shame in my game about it because that is the truth of where we are. And I'm going to be so much more of a present, calmer, better mom when I forgive myself for getting at that 10, that if I sort of like am staying in the place of shame and how could I do this again? You know what? Four times. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have a few more tens than I might normally. And mm -hmm. that's okay. But to your point, now what do I do with it once I've recognized it, right? Like, can I say, and next time when I get to the six, part of my self-compassion is to say, ooh, let me turn on something or let me ask my partner for some support and go take a walk or get some fresh air or whatever I need to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking as the, the codependent here, like asking for that support is really mm. fucking hard. You know, I found myself yes. last night coming out of bedtime. I mean, we're in a particularly tough patch with sleep right now, which we could do a probably a whole freaking episode on sleep. You know, after an hour of putting her down and I laid her down and she did go to sleep, thank God, but it did take an hour. And I came out and he, first of all, I was starving, right? And I came out and he was working out. And I said to him, I would just like kind of stopped and I looked at him as he was working out and I just said to him, I'm really jealous. I wish I could work out right now. Mm -hmm. Or like, I wish I had time to work out right now or something like that. You know, understandably, he did get a bit defensive. I think he thought I was saying it more of like an, an attacking way. And he was like, well, you have to prioritize it. And like, you can do it right now. And like, and he kind of jumped at me. And I did say to him, like, stop. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not attacking you. I, maybe that's what you heard, but that's really not what it is. I actually was saying it in more of an exasperated way, right? And I realized I was sitting in the dark with her. And I started adding up, okay, this idea of even if I just add up feeding her and holding her, and putting her down for naps. I literally did the quick math in my head and I recognized that at a minimum, that is four hours where she is with no one but me in my mm -hmm. arms, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's shushing her to sleep, whether that's breastfeeding her, whatever. It's not that he doesn't want to help. He can't breastfeed her, right? There's certain things he can't do. But here's the thing. When a partner says to you, you just have to prioritize it. <laughs> <laughs> First off, that made me want to be like, I will smack you upside your head, right? I didn't say to him, well, I've been sitting here doing the math and, you know, but holy shit, like that in itself, four hours a day is just that, you know, I had somebody, I had somebody DM me one time that said, I did all the math about my partner breastfeeding and it ended up being like 40 hours a week. Like it was a full-time job. How the hell do we find the time to work out or to read a book or to do these things, right? And so talk about grace, like, I can't make more hours in the day. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I remember before I had a kid hearing moms talk about like wanting to take a shower and how difficult mm -hmm. that was. And I remember being like, why can't you take a damn shower? <laughs> like yeah. that is so weird to me. And I think you don't until you understand that there is just such a level of attachment, especially in the beginning, that mm -hmm. you are this human's survival. They are that level of connected to you. There's a reason that they call it the fourth trimester, right? Because that baby just needs mama mm -hmm. all the time. And that is so taxing on our psyche, you know? And I think that it needs to be said. Um, we were talking to my friend Lauren a couple weeks ago, you know, and I think that's, that's the biggest gift um, in having some of these conversations is that we sort of say the way that we hold these things and the way that we don't allow ourselves to say certain things like, don't like the newborn phase. It's awful. Right. <laughs> like, but if that's the truth that so many of us are experiencing and nobody's allowed to say, one, it feels good to say it and have it acknowledged and sort of um, recognize that, that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And someone else, but then also maybe there are things that we need to do differently. You know, I was, um, 
this morning I, I woke up and I was like looking at an account for someone I follow in the UK that was saying, you know, something about the teachers that are supporting the kids whose parents are necessary workers right now, right? Mm -hmm. So in the UK, if you're a necessary worker, those kids are staying in school and those mm -hmm. teachers are considered necessary workers as well because we are a community and we don't ask right, right. certain people to be necessary workers and then they're on their own with what they're going to do with their kids. We sort of hold it as we are all a community. These are all of our children. And so nobody is sort of left in the lurch trying to figure out how the hell they're going to take care of their children. And I just felt like, God, are we doing this wrong? You know, there are people who are literally like, what am I supposed to do? And as a country, as a community, we're like, I don't know, figure it out. Figure it out, right. I mean, how horrid, how right. shameful when we really think about the way that we are holding people that we're calling necessary workers, quotes, like, do you think they want to be necessary workers? Do you think they want to leave their kids at home so that they have food on the table for those kids mm -hmm. so that they can make some money to support their families? Of course they don't. Like, we're like, oh, thank you, necessary workers. But what are we doing to support them in that, you know? And I feel like on so many levels, it's like, yeah, we have kids and it's like, get back to work in a couple of weeks, regardless of what the impact is on you and your psyche and your body and your child. We're just not supporting each other well. Right. And this goes back to exactly what we started talking about, which was this whole like idea of what happened to the village, right? Mm -hmm. And at what point did we decide, and this is such a Western way of looking at it, you know, it's this very individualistic culture versus collectivistic culture. Because here's the thing, it's not like it's an American thing, because I know a lot of people who come from Asian backgrounds or Mexican backgrounds, right, who they are a collectivistic culture and they do believe in this whole rally around the aunties, the cousins, the, you know, mamas, everybody kind of helps. And so why is it that we as a culture, Western, Western culture, feel like we should be able to do this all by ourselves? You know, and, and like to your point, we're setting ourselves up to feel like we're failing. I think it's six words. Mm -hmm. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. Like how many of us grew up hearing that? Yep. How much is that like an American value and something that we are sort of conditioned and taught to be glorified? I think you can see it in so many ways, you know, even the way that you speak about it being really challenging for you to ask for support, mm -hmm. right? We are taught to believe um, it's weakness to depend or need anyone other than yourself, mm -hmm. even your, in your partner, your partners, yep. right? Like we are, we are so conditioned to believe that. And I see that constantly, you know, people that have been married for years that I'm like, well, why don't you talk to your partner about feelings? So, well, I can't let them see that weakness. You know, I can't let them see me in that way. And I'm thinking the level of intimacy that we are missing when we don't let people in, you know, when we are really suffering, but I got to, I got to continue to suffer by myself because I can't ask someone else to be here in this space of struggling with me. Right. Well, and I think it's that hundred percent. I also think it's like, then when you couple the fear of looking weak with the, what I see so much with clients, right? Cause I do tend to work with a lot of people struggling with codependent, you know, traits. It's this feeling of, if I don't do everything for you, you'll leave. Hmm. So it's, if I need anything, if I show that I have any kind of need, I'm going to get left for it. Right. Because then I'm going to be looked at as needy and you're not going to want to deal with it. And so it's this weird combination of those two things that we as people have, we, we, we do it to ourselves. To your point, I do think it actually is a very deeply rooted cultural thing. And, and then, you know, it just gets deeper and deeper ingrained. The more and more it gets kind of reinformed or reinforced rather, I think, by parents, by, you know, unhealthy partnerships, 
and look, this idea of like, if I, if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. Like we do that shit to ourselves, you know? And this is a lot of what the work I do with codependency is. It's like, yes, I understand where that belief is coming from, but now we have to challenge that belief because you are your own worst enemy in codependency. And I'm saying this to myself as I'm saying it, right? Because I still struggle with it, but it's not weakness. And no, actually, it's not done right when you do it yourself because we're not supposed to do this alone. Mm. You know, and like, let's look back to parenting. It's like, I find myself doing that with the baby, you know? I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. No, actually, he's going to bring his own expertise. He's going to bring his own way of parenting. He's going to bring, you know, and I can't be all things to her, even though I think I can and I want to be, right? that's actually detrimental to her, not just me. Absolutely. And I have to remember that. Yeah. And it is really hard to remind ourselves because the way that I would do it feels like the right way. Right. Right. And it doesn't, it, it won't be your way. Right. Like I think a lot of sometimes our work as parents is sort of taking that deep exhale. Like I remember listening to something on a podcast, you know, while I was pregnant before I became a mother that was talking about whether you sort of get help from family members versus whether you sort of pay for help. Mm -hmm. And the person was making the argument that it's better to pay for help because then you can really assert like the way you Mm. want it done and having it done your way. And if it's a family member, they're going to want it done their way. And fair enough, right? There might be some truth. And maybe there's something about sitting in the discomfort of this isn't the way I would do it. And that doesn't mean it's wrong, Right. right? It's okay if to your point, she sees that there are some things that are done the way that mommy does them. And there are some things that are done the way that daddy does them and neither are wrong. They're just different. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, the point is that they get done. Right. Right. Or grandma or auntie or friend or whoever. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And that was when I, when I first started talking about this whole idea of like, what the hell happened to the village, John actually made a comment similar to that. That was like, well, yeah, but the positive is, you know, obviously I'm paraphrasing. It was something like the positive is, is that when you have, a bunch of um, family all together like that, then there's all kinds of, you know, issues that arise from those relationships. And Mm. I was like, yes, I get that. And in the, in the extreme cases, there are going to be very, very unhealthy family dynamics. Sure. That you're exposing your kid to, but also doesn't that give us an opportunity to do the work with those people? Because I do think, and this is kind of a tangent, but what just popped up in my head is this idea of the nuclear family. Part of it is so many of us run away from our family of origin Hmm. because it's easier for us to run away and create our own family than it is for us to actually stay and address the issues that are so deeply rooted within our family system. Preach! Yeah. And so I don't know if if we maintain, now look, I'm saying this, I don't want to move back to upstate New York. I'm not saying I do, right? To have that family, I would love to have my family closer, but I'm, I'm not willing to do that. But if that were looked at differently, then maybe we could use it as an opportunity to actually get in there and heal and correct those family bonds and relationships through parenting, through this new little being that comes into the world. I don't know. Maybe that sounds Pollyanna of me because, I, listen, anybody who's listening, I have my own issues within the family structure, right? So I'm not saying it's perfect, but. No, but I, I think you're really right. And I think that that is, um, I was sort of like doing a little fist bump <laughs> over here as you were speaking. Hall for yeah, I, was, I was doing that dog pound, whatever that thing is, because I think that you just touched on something that is really powerful that I don't, I, I hadn't really thought about it that much, but I do think so often we leave situations of discomfort where there is an opportunity for growth for the people around us. We say, 
um, it's not even worth saying it. It's not even worth having the conversation. Mm -hmm. And we go on, like, we'll even go home for like holidays, see family members. They continue to do that thing that is disrespectful, that makes me feel hurt and small. And I know it's coming every Thanksgiving, but here we are. And, you know, there's the option to have the conversation about how it makes me feel, or there's the option to say, I'm only here for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. suck it up. It's not worth it. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I go back to this place away from my family because I don't want to feel the way that makes me feel. What if I stayed in the discomfort and said, Mm -hmm. you know, when you say that thing to me, it really makes me feel blank. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's awkward. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. But now next Thanksgiving, maybe I don't have to be dreading going because we've had a conversation about it. And maybe there's a little bit of healing that could possibly occur. You might not, Mm -hmm. they might not be willing to hear it, but they might. You know, it might create a different dynamic between us. Well, and even if it creates volatility in that moment, I mean, that's a lot more authentic. Yes, absolutely. Than pretending like it doesn't bother you and letting it keep going on. Yeah. I can't remember if it was me talking to you or where this conversation, but someone was saying, you know, the, the awful thing about this time. And yes, this time is awful on so many levels, but I do think that there is... Um, this like black light that is being sort of shown on all of these problems in the way that we are interacting with one another and the ways that we are interacting with the society. And we're sort of forced to look at it. You guys want to be independent and do your nuclear family with no support? Go do it. (laughs) Go Mm -hmm. do it in your house by yourself. Mm -hmm. And see how that feels and see why we really do need one another. You want to sort of ignore these social structures where um, marginalized people are ignored and not cared for, okay, what if all of a sudden you're going to be one of those marginalized people too? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, how does it feel, right? Like there's just all these ways that I feel like we sort of are being gifted with the challenge of this time to really have the conversations, to really look at ourselves in a different way. Mm. Scary and yet so true. Mm. Oh, there's so much swirling with this. And I say that it sounds, I guess that sigh sounded exasperated, but also sounded like, I know that I'm not in this alone. And I know that there's so many people that are swirling too, right along with me. Mm. Um, And, you know, it definitely feels good to have the people that have also had kids that I can kind of text and reach out to and stuff. And you know what, to your point, it's this idea of like, no shame in my game, you know, like, Mm. Like John and I are going to hire a sleep trainer and, you know, we're going to pay for it. And I think a lot of times we get shamed even for hiring help, you know, and here's the thing is what you were saying about that, like, whether it's family or hired help, we hire help in this culture because we don't have the family to help. Mm. Right. So I don't think we should shame people for hiring either. You know, I mean, yes, there's definitely a difference in um, people who can afford to or not. And that's a whole other conversation. Right. But when you really need support and you don't have that family around you or friends around you to give it, then I say power to you, hire what you need, you know, and shit, man, eight weeks old are tough. Oh my God. My, like my heart is so with you and it is. And some of these moments of discomfort, I do believe we have no choice but to sit in the discomfort, but the beauty is on the other side. Mm -hmm. We are just so aware of what we're capable of. You know, I, 
was talking to a parent that was talking about how much they look back on mistakes they made when, you know, with their first kid and they Mm -hmm. have three kids now. Right. And they're like, Oh, it kills me the way I raised that first kid. And I'm like, yeah, but like, can't you also sort of hold yourself with the grace and the understanding you were brand new. It's like those commercials where like the first baby you're like, Mm -hmm so precious with them by the third one you're just like strapping them over your shoulder like out the door it's whatever but you know you had to go through the challenging moments to sort of realize what you were capable of and now mm-hmm. I can conquer anything and I do think I don't know this this challenge these challenges these moments certainly for us as parents are showing us what we're capable of and also how to show ourselves compassion for what we're going through like I think this is something that carries on throughout this time, right? Like, can we hold ourselves a little bit differently? I can't tell you the amount of mommy shaming that goes on of ourselves Mm -hmm. across the board, this, um, you know, social media culture where this is what it looks like that this mom is doing, right? Like her meals are so amazing and she's doing crafts while she's making meals. And there is so much shame, right? And those same moms that are constantly posting highlight reels are now like, I'm at my wits end. And mm-hmm. I'm like, slow clap for the moms in the back. I love it. Because I just think, what is the point in mm-hmm. any of us pretending that this isn't hard? It's hard for all of us. It's so hard for all of us. Let's say it. Let's be yeah. honest about it. Let's support one another in that. And it's hard in our relationships. And I think we should also say that, you know, oh my God. I, I think actually pre-quarantine, one of the best pieces of advice, and I got it from multiple people that didn't even know each other was the first two years are going to be so hard in your relationship. Mm. Just accept it. Know it now. Look each other in the eyes and know that this two years is going to be so tough. Right. And somebody actually used the um, visual of like bookends. Like you have your relationship before the baby Mm -hmm. and then you have your relationship that starts after two years of age. And you look at the first two years of life as almost like this bookended time in your relationship where it's going to be a fucking struggle. And if you can get through that, then there is all this other life left, but so many can't because it is the most trying experience possible on a partnership. And again, not to harp on this, but partly it's because there's two of us and we're expected to do it all just two fucking people. And we're just two people. And it's four times. Four times. Those first two years. It like, honestly, it is. There's torture. There's no sleep. There's keeping your head above water. It's war times. It's, it's war very times. true. And you're just like trying to survive it. Like, I think so much of that early time period, because it's funny, as you say, two years, like, yes, in the beginning, it's just like, I'm just like, where am I? What day is it? What's happening? But then they get a little older and they start moving. And it's like, can I keep this toddler alive? And when I, and anybody who's ever had a toddler knows like, that's not an exaggeration. There's walls, there's cliffs, there's something. They're about to go over it every minute. And so it's like, if you think about what that does to your nervous system, you're literally, your your eyes just got so big, but it is like, you're like constantly on edge and you're like, oh my God, I can feel the cortisol levels just like skyrocketing over and over again. And so, yeah, it's stressful and we snap at each other and we have these moments of 10 and I forgive me because I'm in war times mm-hmm. and I'm doing the best I can and you're doing the best you can. And we've got to sort of acknowledge that to get through it. Mm-hmm. And this is a huge mirror and it's a huge opportunity to have a lesson mm. if we can allow it. So, yeah, absolutely. She well, says as her eyes drift off and her I, head nods. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that we talked about it because I think, 
I remember listening to podcasts or parents talk about what was hard mm-hmm. as as a parent and just being like, yeah, yeah, thank you. And so I'm glad that you brought it up and I'm glad that we put aside some space to have the conversation because all of us need to know that what we're doing is the most difficult work we will ever do and that you're not in it alone. Even though oftentimes we've created structures that make you feel that way, we're all doing the best that we can. And I think we need to support one another by saying that. I agree. And look, ain't nobody doing crafts and homeschooling their kids and (laughs) making dinners that look perfect all at the same time. And if they say they are, they are lying. (laughs) Highlight real people. It's lies, lies. All right, guys. Thank you for listening and we will catch you next time. Yes. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.